welcome to that tech pod where we discuss all things e-discovery, cybersecurity, data privacy, and tech innovations. I'm Gabby Schulte, and you know what? I am learning more and more about tech each and every day. And I'm Laura Milstein, and I don't know if I'm continuing to learn about tech, but hopefully our guest today will help me expand my knowledge. Well, you're in luck because each week we have heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. So today, Laura, who are we talking to? Today we are talking to David Burnett. David has been working at security, identity, and authentication companies for almost 20 years. Early in his career, he spent seven years helping to make strong encryption success and easy to use while at PGP Corporation and Symantec. Later, he focused on making biometric authentication easier and more popular than passwords. His work at Knock Knock Labs delivered early successes for the Fido Alliance, an industry association that promotes a passwordless future. Samsung and Sony used Knock Knock Labs software to power their first Fido enabled fingerprint login service on smartphones. Oh my goodness, David, I I have to stop right there and and just welcome you to the show. So today, again, David Burnett from Zero Biometrics is with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Gabby. It's a delight to be here. And like you, I like to learn about tech stuff or just anything on a daily basis. There you go. This is this is why we're together right now. Um, so, David, tell us a little bit. I mean, obviously, Laura went through a novel, um, but tell us from from your from your own words. You know, how did you get started in tech? Tell us a little bit about your journey and how did you end up specifically where you're at right now? Sure. So, I have always, since I was a little kid loved making things with friends, doing cool things, cool projects with people that I enjoy spending time with. I mean, it goes all the way back to when I was eight years old and got my first Lego set and liked to build and going all the way on. As I grew up, went to college, I became a software engineer and did that for many years. And then I realized that to to build really cool things, you have to work more with people and you have to to work on the business problems that inform the technology that you're going to build. Because you can make anything with software or hardware or just about anything. Um, But if you don't have a good idea of what you want to make or how you want to use it, you can go way off the rails. So that was kind of what took me out of being an individual software engineer to team lead to outside of software engineering teams, uh, working uh, at the business level, managing different business functions. Um, I started um, as a with a software consulting firm, then moved on into the security industry with PGP Corporation, uh, which was some of the seminal first really popular use cases for personal data encryption. Then Symantec, and then got really excited about identity and biometrics and privacy, which was work that I did at Knock Knock Labs with some colleagues of mine from PGP Corporation and Semantic Days. And we did something really interesting around starting this international standards body called the FIDO Alliance. Now, we were a little commercial company, but we knew that if we wanted to get rid of passwords when we go online, that we couldn't do it by ourselves. So we got a whole consortium of groups together, different companies, and did something that was 
almost impossible. You know, we got a very successful standards body and early deployments of this passwordless authentication um, in, embedded in phones, in servers with companies like Samsung, as Laura mentioned, launch partners with, you know, with uh, PayPal and some Japanese telecommunications companies like NTT Docomo. And we started a snowball there. Uh, and it was a fantastic learning experience. We made a ton of progress. Now today, this FIDO alliance is huge. Um, it's It's got hundreds of members and it's a who's who of, of technology companies, all grouped together around the idea of passwordless authentication. And that was a great ride. Um, but that wasn't the end. I mean, we smartphones, great logging into cloud services, using a fingerprint or using an iris or, or whatever whatever type of authentication you wanted, as long as it wasn't password. That was cool, but that wasn't the end of the journey for me. You know, we, we made a huge dent with the FIDO Alliance and the Knock Knock Labs team in, in setting the foundation for a passwordless world. But what about other devices, right? What about the things that we work with in our daily lives? You know, car fobs, you know, like clicking the clicker on your car to unlock it. You know, if anyone finds your keys, you know, they can, you know, use it to unlock your car. So I worked with other companies to go into the Internet of Things space to really drive the, the convenience and security benefits of biometrics into our daily lives. Then a couple of years ago, I met the team behind the company that I'm with today. Um, and about a year ago, I started getting really involved because this team has solved some really important problems around the privacy issues that come with using these biometric devices. You know, when I enroll my finger or my face to authenticate me on a device, there's sensitive information about me that lives on that device. What we're doing now, and why I'm such a huge advocate for this small little company, is that we're able to do all of the convenience that you expect without any of the privacy concerns. We can literally authenticate you without knowing what your face looks like, without recording any pictures of your face. And it's super exciting, and it has some really important benefits around data protection. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but it's that's the journey, right? Working on really interesting problems that have an impact on people's lives that make it easier and safer for us to use all of the digital technology around us. And that's the journey that I'm still on today. Yeah, that's definitely something that we... Um found really interesting because we've talked to some people that are into biometric data and we talked around those privacy concerns. And then now there's this sort of, um, you know, your company works to eliminate those concerns. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we get into kind of more of that, um, from zero biometrics, uh, perspective, I kind of just wanted to ask you a fun question. Um, basically, so, we are here now. We have facial recognition tech. Um, you know, what? what is the biometric tech that scares you the most right now? And what do you think that's going to look like five years from now? Or you can go as far as you want down the road, but I'll, we can just keep it at five. The thing that's an 
easy question because okay. <laughs> for me to answer because I've uh, part of my job over the years has been to talk with management teams about the the ways that this technology can be used to breach our privacy, you know, like, like anything, you know, like even, you know, the old classic Star Wars force, anything can be used for good or evil. And I think it's really important that technologists have time and make the time and effort to think about the improper use of what they bring to market. So back to answer your question, um, the thing that scares me the most is security cameras on the streets that are biometrically authenticating all of us. Um, that's, that creates enormous, enormous concerns uh, for me. And it is, you know, it's something that we actually address with our technology, but, but hands down, that's the biggest issue. And then- the Are you second- hiding, David? Why hmm? are you hiding? <laughs> exactly, right? You know, you walk out your front door and then they know where you are. Uh, actually, the second thing that bothers me almost as much because people get it if your face is being captured as you walk down the street. Automated license plate readers really bother me almost as much as face scanners because there are very few laws around collection of your license plate data. And when it's collected, it can be GOIP tagged. So basically, this information about where your car was and their by extension, most likely you, is freely available on a commercial on a commercial basis. Well, sorry, I said freely and commercial. It's available on a commercial basis mm-hmm. without needing a subpoena or any sort of court order uh, to get access to it. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm trying to think of like because you know obviously that I don't generally want to be surveilled or like to know you know to have someone know or, you know, anyone really know like where I am or where I'm going. But I'm also like, well, why do I care if, if someone has my license plate? So can you give us like a little example or um, scenario in which, you know, an everyday person would be uh, like, oh yeah, maybe I should be more concerned about this. Yeah. And it's really tricky, right? Because it's easy to think of the good uses of an automated license plate scanner. You know, like I was away uh, on on vacation this last weekend and my daughter was driving our car all over the place. I look at the odometer when I got back and I was like, hold on, <laughs> there's a lot of miles on this car. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting if I could, and I probably could if I wanted to, to just go find out literally where she'd been driving by automated license plate readers. You didn't try to do the uh, Ferris Bueller trick? Yeah, with the reversing the odometer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, un- she's unfortunately, she's not, uh, she's young enough that she has no interest in watching Ferris Bueller. Yep. So maybe fortunate <laughs> or unfortunate, right? Right. Um, but l- let me just give you a really simple example, right? You know, um, and, and it's especially um, uh, important these days with all of the change with the with the repeal of Roe versus Wade. If you are driving from one state to another to access abortion services in an, an adjacent state, your license plate can be tracked without you knowing it as you drive through the state, as you drive into a different state, and as you drive up to the abortion service provider in that adjacent state. So if it's illegal in your state, 
state A, you go to state B, the cops in state A can pull the information from both states and prove that your car went to that location. And that is super creepy to me. David, you're honestly one of the scariest people we've had on. Like everything you're saying is creepy. But one of the reasons that we really wanted you to have wanted to have you on the show is because a while ago, and we had talked about this on a previous episode, there was this whole thing where Canon in China had this thing where for their employees, they would show up and they have to get their face scanned and they have to be smiling to enter the building. And part of me is like, okay, this is insane. And on many fronts where I'm like, you are scanning my face to get in, but also do I really have to show I'm smiling? Is it really going to make me like want to be at work more because I'm smiling? Um, and the other part was kind of like, Oh, that's cute in a really fucked up way just to be very upfront about it. Um, but what I thought was really interesting and please tell me if I am misunderstanding this with your tech is that you guys don't actually have to have like a full copy of my face. You're just kind of able to see parts and, And I think that's what you had been talking about. And I'd like to kind of understand how does that work? And what if I change my face completely? Can I still get in? Can I still get access? Like what if I get a really bad like filler situation or what if I get something, something just happens and I look very different. Do you have to reprogram everything? How does it work? Yeah, no problem. Um, let me, why don't I do this? Let me explain a little bit about how traditional biometrics work and the key components, especially when you're doing face, and then contrast it with what we do so that the privacy differences are, are more apparent. So the way traditional face works, face authentication, is that a picture is taken of you and then it is saved digitally, of course. Um, And sometimes it's saved as a raw picture. Sometimes it's changed in some fashion into vectors or some other type of data. But often um, it can be reversed back into a photo of you. That's why it's sensitive data. That's why it has to be protected. If your fingerprint sensor or face ID on your phone, there's a lot of security that's wrapped around that data to make sure it doesn't leave the device. Um, And then when you come back to the building, for instance, to use your example, Laura, uh, they take a second picture of your face and then they compare them. And if they think it's similar enough beyond a certain threshold level, then it's considered to be a match. It's called a probabilistic match. We think that this new photo is highly likely to be Laura or Gabby based off of comparing these two photos. And by the way, the smile example that you mentioned, that actually is almost certainly a liveness test, right? So there's many ways to confirm that who's in front of the camera is not a fake, right? And there are, there are many technologies. There's passive, there's active. What you described as a more active method where you have to do something like smile and the computer tracks you from going with a flat expression to a, a smile fake smile, maybe it doesn't matter, but they see the motion and then they determine that you are actually, that there's a human being there that's providing the input data. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it could be a frown to smile too, for that matter. Um, or blink. Your- like an angry, like you have to like show your teeth. You got to really get angry in it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. For the dystopian company of the future. Yeah, that would that should be their liveness test. Bare your teeth and and make grunting sounds, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Um, like that. Yeah, there's it's all it's just in the service of liveness. It doesn't have to be a smile. And I agree. It's actually kind of creepy. There's one company, a different company in China had a whole smile to pay uh, branding where you had to smile at your phone in order to complete your digital uh, transaction or your currency. That's kind of sick because sometimes I'm like, I know I have to pay this, but I'm like so sad about all the money that I'm losing by paying this. And then you're going to make me smile. What kind of torture? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, they, you know, these are the, you know, especially because no matter how smart our technology is, there are ways in which it's still really dumb. Sometimes we have to do things that seem really silly in order to make the relatively dumb technology work. But what we do is actually kind of, it's its fundamentally different, right? And the model that I described with traditional face, it's been around for 60 years. I mean, literally you have to go back to the 1960s to when face-off, computer-aided face-off was first invented. It's got a lot more accurate, but it's the same basic model as it was back in the 60s. We are taking a completely different approach. We are not storing any information about what you look like. We, We actually create a formula that describes your face It uses a branch of mathematics called zero-knowledge proofs, which are a whole long beast into itself, which I can also explain. But it's um, we basically say, well, this formula describes my face, Dave's face. And we then apply that formula and we get a result. And and that result is a 256-bit number. It's a string of data that comes out of the back end. We save that. There's no biometric information in there. And if I take my formula that's unique to me for my face and apply it, Gabby, to your face, I'll get a mathematical result, but I'm not going to get the same result as we would if it were my face being presented to the formula. And the way we do the match is we compare the result of what we got the first time when we knew it was Dave's face to the second time when it could be Dave or it could be Gabby or it could be Laura's face. We don't know whose face it is. And we compare that result precisely. You know, we look at it you know, bit by bit, and it has to be exactly the same in order for it to be a match. So it's a very, very different model. And there's we've had third-party labs come in and look at our technology, and they're like, yep, no biometric information inside. And that changes so many things, not just from a safety perspective, but also how can you use it? Because they, the company that's authenticating you doesn't literally doesn't know what you look like. Right. And yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, if talking about the safety aspect of it, if it's, you know, if there's no biometric data and that's what everyone's concerned about, why, why is it that this technology didn't try something like that sooner, you know, at, at the front end. And I guess that could be broadened out to so many questions in data privacy, just because right now you have a lot of people who are trying to implement, uh, you know, ethical 
practices when we're talking about privacy. Sorry if you hear my dog. Um, but uh, basically, you know, yeah, why is it that we kind of jumped the gun and didn't really care about privacy for like from the beginning? Sure. And, well, and there, boy, that's, <clears throat> I'll try. That, I could give you a half I know that's a, that, that's a but, uh, I'll philosophical give you question in part too, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, let me give you the short and sweet. So first of all, right, the, the, there, there has been a lot of research um, in, in academia, you know, advanced cryptographers and data scientists that have been working on this new approach to authentication for more than 10 years now. We're just the first company that's actually perfected it and gotten it to commercial grade because there's always a difference between what you do in, in the lab, whether it's a biotech lab or whether it's a software engineering lab. There's always a difference between what works in the lab and what works in the field and production. So we're, 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 we are just happen to be the first company from this, this new branch of uh, a foundational branch of science for doing authentication. But to answer your bigger question, like why did we start this way? Well, some of it goes back to the way that these systems were invented, right? I mean, these systems were invented before the internet, right? I mean, there was no internet back in 1960. You know, if, the, if there were computers, there were big mainframes. And so there wasn't the sense that the, all of this stuff would be happening on the web and that there'd be the kind of uh, cybersecurity threats that we have today. And they were, it was always a controlled enclosed system when it was invented. So the, it, you know, as we've adopted the technology, you know, the, you, you do what you normally do with any technology, right? You know, you start with version one Oh, and then you go and you think, okay, well, if I want to take this out of, you know, out of, you know, FBI research, and I want to put it in a phone, how do I make it work? And you, the easiest thing to do is to just wrap more security around it to not, you know, it's easier to extend what you have than to reinvent it. And what we're doing is really a reinvention of how to do it. And that just takes time. And, you know, it's, it, it has a lot of benefits. Um, but you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, people weren't as concerned either. So there wasn't as much market pressure to do it, um, to do authentication in a way that was as privacy preserving as what we can now do. David, you have been overwhelmingly uh, terrifying, educational, all of the above. Uh, and I love that. So we're really happy that you came on our show today. We don't want to take up too much more of your, I mean, we do, but for the sake of kindness, we will ask you one more question. Um, and I think this is going to be not necessarily a doozy, but I think it's one that, that people are probably asking. So your company aside, any company, anything, when we're talking about biometrics, we have to look at it for the next five years, the next 10 years. I mean, I think you reevaluate your relationships in the same way. Do I want to still be married to this person? Do I want to keep these kids? You know, what's what's my life going to be? And I think you kind of have to look at biometrics in the same way. Data privacy, all of these things are constantly changing and constantly having effects on this. What trends do you think we need to be looking out for? What do you think is going to happen do you think in the next five to 10 years, in order to do anything, our face is going to have to be scanned? 
That's a great question. And it's it's something that I think a lot about. And in fact, I the biometrics industry is overdue for this kind of rethink and reassessment. You mentioned a five, maybe 10 year horizon. We've been we've gone 60 years without like a fundamental reinvention of how to do the core science. So we're we're overdue. And number one, you know, in our space, there's no reason why our technology is limited to face or our or or more broadly, forgetting our company, that this approach is limited to face. It could be used for finger, it could be used for voice, it can be used for iris or scanning your palm, right? So uh, it, it needs to be adopted. This kind of approach needs to be adopted by most or all of the biometric vendors because we are in a world now where privacy matters, our data security matters. I mean, we can do things that you can't do with traditional biometrics, like use your face to encrypt your data so that nobody can unencrypt it unless you've authenticated yourself. It's stuff you just can't do. So it's not just well, how do we change the technology or evolve it or make it more private? It's the, what are the new things we can do in a more safe way uh, with this tech? Um, and then the, the second thing that I would say is that in the, in the industry as a whole, right, we have to do a couple of things. We have to, um, at a minimum, we have to um, adapt the technology to support all of the privacy concerns and the legal frameworks that are coming up. For example, did you consent to let your bank or the service use your biometrics? And that isn't something that's well recorded today. And in fact, it's in some jurisdictions, it's been the subject of you know multi, multi-million dollar payouts for people that where their biometrics were used without their consent. So we have to create the tools to support presenting that consent to individuals and then recording that they gave that consent. And then the other thing, and this is a big goal, and I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I Wait, really- David, David, before you oh, yeah. dive in, we need to like drum roll. Big goal. Big goal, exactly. We talk today in terms of our biometrics being taken from us, right? You know, you enroll your biometrics and you give them to a bank or to some other service. We really need to change that equation that our biometrics are under our control, that we give our biometrics to be used for a short period of time, a period of time that we're comfortable with for a specific case to a specific company and that that's auditable and that we know when that if they exceed that, let's say we give it to them for a month, you know, because we signed up for a new service and we're doing a trial for a month. So we say, okay, great. I'll let you use my biometrics for a month. But after that time, it blows up and you can't use my biometrics anymore. That's a that's a returning to, I think, the way things should be. And the cart has been before the horse for a while now where our biometrics are taken and we need to give permission. And that permission has to be enforced by the technology. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an awesome conversation. I hope people learned a lot. I sure did. And thank you for coming by. It was my pleasure to be here. It was enjoyable to talk to both of you guys. Awesome.
Gabby, we just spoke to David Burnett. Tell me every thought that you have on him on biometrics. How are you feeling? Ooh, a lot of feelings, a lot to process. Uh, basically, I learned a lot. Like I knew that biometrics and, you know, was concerning from a data privacy standpoint. And also, did you notice that I was saying data a lot today, Laura, and not data? Full disclosure, I did notice it even in the intro. And I was did, I didn't want to call you out because I was worried you, you might get confused and switch right. back to the wrong way. Well, you mean the right way. But um, basically, <laughs> I think you just uh, you brainwashed me. Uh, but basically, uh, no, I, I thought that it was super helpful to know exactly, you know, that there are people concerned about this. There are people that are trying to fix this, even if it's a retroactive fixing. And like you said, you know, they're the first company to get commercial, to to be able to scale at that level. So that was really interesting. What did you think? I completely agree. I just the whole time I'm like, just don't don't scan my face. I don't want to use a password. and I don't want to be scanned. Somebody think of a safer solution. Uh, but he was really informative. I think it's an exciting thing that's happening. And I think it's something that we need to be more aware of and, and be spending more time to research and look into those things. If you want to hear more about biometrics or that tech pod or anything, reach out to us at contact at that tech Check us out on our website at www.thattechpod.com. Definitely subscribe to us so you don't miss anything going on. Get some merchandise so you can look cool with your swag or have fun with your swag. And uh, check us out on LinkedIn slash thattechpod, Twitter or Instagram. We're awful at those too, but you can visit them anyway at um, whatever those are at that tech pod. Yeah, and you can also uh, just do us a solid and give us a five-star rating and review. We would love you forever. The way you do that is just go to Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify, anywhere you're listening to this podcast, and give us a five-star rating and review. Thank you, and see you next time. See you then.